Today on Blue 58, Jordan Love will be taking the field for the Packers in about a week. What are we going to see when he's out there? And what do we need to see to feel good about him heading into his third season? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Let's talk some news and notes before we dive into the Jordan Love discussion. Zach Tom looks to really be emerging as a, a potential option for the Packers at right tackle when the regular season kicks off. It seems to be an emerging trend that he gets sprinkled in there uh, on the right side more and more frequently. Uh, from Justice Mosqueda's recap of Tuesday's practice at acmepackingcompany.com, this uh, quote for you. Uh, it feels like tackle Cole Van Lannen is slipping out of the right tackle race for week one. Yesterday, Monday, the team practiced Yash Nyman, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, and Zach Tom left to right as the squad's starting offensive line. Today, Tuesday, per Packers.com's Mike Spofford, the line was Nyman, Runyon, Myers, Jake Hansen, and Newman. In this game of musical chairs, it seems like there are now six contestants for the five spots, at least until Bakhtiari and or Jenkins return to practice. End quote there. Tom also got some center reps on Monday, according to Bill Huber, though that is a separate discussion. But it's interesting to see him stepping in there more on the right side. And we've got to take an early L here because I thought of him almost exclusively as an interior prospect, but the Packers seem to be pretty comfortable him on the outside on the right side. Uh, he and Newman make for an interesting combination on the right side. It's a little bit lighter than what the Packers have been going with um, over the past couple of years, especially uh, towards their interior alignment. They, by and large, have liked them to be a little bit bigger. Uh, Newman still fairly light, though though tall, uh, has some good length there. Tom, not quite as tall as Newman, which makes for an interesting flip-flop between them uh, at guard and tackle. You would think it would be switched, but Tom appears to be pretty comfortable on the right side. And um, this does seem to be a contingency the Packers are working through in the event that Bakhtiari can't go week one. And we really haven't gotten any any movement on that story over the first week or so of camp since he opened camp on the, the pup list. There's really been no talk of him coming off at any time soon, which is probably a different conversation that we should have at, at some point. When or, when do we start being concerned about week one? I, I, well, I don't know if you really need to, to put a when on it. I think it's it's now where we should probably start being concerned about that now. Um but that's that's a different discussion, as I said. Uh, all of this, though, with Tom does appear to be contingent on, on things shaking out with Bakhtiari. But with Tom stepping in on the right side, that, that means Yash Nyman has exclusively practiced on the left side. And I wonder if, um, if Bakhtiari was ready to go in week one, if they would even bother switching Nyman back over to the right side, given how extensively now Tom and, I guess, Royce Newman, too, have, have practiced over there. We... we thought that maybe Nyman would step in over there if Bakhtiari could play. But if you don't need him, well, I guess don't don't move things around more than you have to. The Packers have been more willing than most teams to try to switch guys between left and right. Uh, but if you don't have to make a guy relearn footwork on the fly, don't. Just pencil in Zach Tom or, or Royce Newman guys who have played there virtually all summer so far. The Packers, as always, are going to give themselves options, and if nothing else, they've got an emerging option there in in Zach Tom at, at right tackle. Let's talk Romeo Dubs for a second. He has been certainly very exciting in camp so far, probably the story of camp. 
in terms of building excitement for the regular season, I wouldn't have guessed. Uh, I thought there was a, a good chance he was going to be a, a very good player for the Packers this year. Still a smaller role than Christian Watson or even Sammy Watkins. Now I think you're talking about what the ceiling can be for for Dubs because it doesn't seem like there are really any limits on what he can achieve. But still, you should um, we should temper expectations a little bit. I know Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in, in the past couple of seasons have really changed the idea of what's possible for a rookie receiver. And I think now more than ever, it is possible for a rookie to have a big season right out of the gate in the NFL. The game is different now than it was. You don't need the same kind of breaking in period as a rookie receiver as you did in the past. But I still think the past is is where we need to be looking in terms of what is reasonable to expect for for a rookie receiver in the NFL. And we've got some good examples of fairly high draft picks for the Packers succeeding to varying degrees as rookies. Five examples right off the, the top of my head, not right off the top of my head because I wrote this down in advance. But, you know, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling all had some version of a pretty good rookie season statistically. One by one there. Greg Jennings, 45 catches, 632 yards, and three touchdowns. Worth reminding, or worth remembering that he had 104 targets. Now, Dubs is not going to get to 104 targets this year. It's just not going to happen. But Jennings was very productive, even at a terrible catch rate. 45 catches on 104 targets is suboptimal, to say the least. But he put up pretty good numbers as a rookie. James Jones, even better. 47 catches, 676 yards, and two touchdowns, 80 targets. That's more realistic, but still probably pretty high for what what Dubs figures to get um, this season. Jordy Nelson starts to get us into the right neighborhood, I think. 33 catches, 366 yards, and two touchdowns back in 2008. 54 targets for Mr. Nelson, just over three per game on average in a 16-game season. I think that feels about right for what we, we could see on the high end for Dubs. Three, maybe four targets per game if he's if he's getting a lot. And, and the Packers are passing a lot too. It, it wouldn't be surprising to see him fall into that range on the upper end. Devontae Adams, pretty similar to Nelson. 38 catches, 446 yards, and three touchdowns on 66 targets. And then MVS to round out those big five that I talked about. 38 catches, 581 yards, and two touchdowns on 73 targets. Now that's the high end. There have been some lower end performances too. Just for for example, Randall Cobb, Ty Montgomery, Equinemius St. Brown, and of course, Amari Rogers. Cobb, 25 catches, 375 yards, and one touchdown on just 31 targets. Cobb, is it's worth remembering, was playing in a loaded receiving core. He's part of that legendary group that appeared on that Sports Illustrated cover. You had Greg Jennings, you had James Jones, you had Jordy Nelson, you had Jermichael Finley, you had Donald Driver all taking up targets ahead of Cobb. So that's probably why his target total was a little bit depressed there, but it's worth noting that Dubs is if not in terms of talent level, in, in a similar situation, just because there are a lot of other guys, I think, who are going to soak up targets here. I mean, w- whether he needs to be getting them or not, Randall Cobb is going to soak up a bunch of targets on this team just because of his relationship with Aaron Rodgers and what Rodgers believes he can do, right or wrong. And I'm as big a, a Ty, uh, not, not a Ty Cobb, a Randall Cobb fan as, as anybody. 
Uh, I like him a lot. I think he's still a useful player, and he's still probably going to get the ball slightly more than he should just because Aaron Rodgers loves to look his way and loves what he can do with the ball. Ty Montgomery, I guess providing my Ty Cobb comparison there, or Ty Cobb slip up there, uh, just 15 catches on a, uh, for 136 yards and two touchdowns in an injury-shortened rookie season. So probably just go ahead and throw him out of your, your calculations. But I guess worth remembering, too, that things might not go perfectly from an injury perspective for Dubs either. Equinemius St. Brown, 21 catches, 328 yards as a rookie in 2018. 38 targets, pretty good number. Finally, Amari Rodgers, uh, for an example of how things can can really go towards the low end, four catches, 45 yards on just eight targets last season. So where does Dubs fit, Dubs fit in in that range, or Dubs fit in in that range? Just based on what he's shown, based on his physical attributes, based on the things that he did in college, based on what you'd think he could probably contribute as a returner, if nothing else, on special teams, he's going to be out there more than I think most fourth or fifth round picks would be. Yes, still a day three pick, but one that I think is a little bit more than that. He probably ends up closer to these ceiling sort of guys than the floor. And Marquez Valdez Scantling's stat line seems like a pretty good ballpark for what he could do. 38 catches, 581 yards, and two touchdowns. That's more than I predicted that he'd probably get, but I think in that 30 to 40 catch range is not outside the realm of possibility. Probably fewer targets than MVS, but I don't think Dubs is going to need 73 targets to catch 38 balls either. Seems like he's a little bit more reliable than that too. Elsewhere in training camp, it seems just as a small item that Tyler Davis is popping up a little bit more as training camp continues to wear on. He seems to get mentioned a lot by a lot of different guys on the beat. And as we've said, A few times in training camp already, it may be nothing, may not be nothing. Nothing is nothing. Every mention deserves at least a little bit of consideration. And considering what the Packers have at tight end other than Davis, worth thinking about. Finally, I thought I would at least mention in passing this little thing that has popped up a couple of times here. Rico Gafford, former wide receiver, then a corner for the Packers, is getting some looks as a kick returner. Gafford, of course, has speed to burn. Speed, speed, speed is in his entire NFL game. Uh, he runs in the 4-2 range or ran, ran in the 4-2 range in the 40-yard dash, but has not really gotten opportunities to return kicks in the NFL before. In his NFL career to date, he has a grand total of one NFL kick return for 12 yards. Okay, but you say, well, if they're taking a look at him on kick returns, he probably did it in college at least, right? No. At Wyoming, seven kick returns for 20 yards on average. 140 yards total, but average 20 yards per return. Very much a see-what-he-can-do sort of thing. But you know what? Doesn't bother me at all. It's training camp, and if a guy can run the 40-yard dash in 4.2 seconds and change, I think it behooves you to see a little bit what he can do. Speaking of what he is able to do, let's talk about Jordan Love. Year three for Jordan Love, in some corners, pitched as a make-or-break sort of season for him. I think it's fair to say this is put-up-or-shut-up time for him, but as we'll talk about in a little bit, I think there's a good reason to think that um, he's going to get more and more opportunities in the next couple years to continue to put it up. 
I'm on record as saying he's going to look pretty good in the preseason. I think this is the year where he starts to, to integrate a little bit more. It's worth remembering that things have not been ideal for him in his NFL career to date. Now, I, we've brought that up before and pointed out that, yes, even if things aren't ideal, he still has had quite a bit of time to get his feet wet in the NFL. He has had time to acclimate. He has had time to practice. He has been prepared as the starter even in a couple of different opportunities in his still brief NFL career. But it hasn't been great. This time, though, things feel a little bit different. This is his second full offseason, full normal offseason with the Packers. And for the second time, he's gotten a real opportunity uh, to take the starters reps, the, the bulk of them at least, since Aaron Rodgers has been away. He's also gotten to work with Tom Clements, the great quarterback coach under Mike McCarthy, now back in Green Bay under, under Matt LaFleur, and has gotten some in-depth tutoring there. And we'll read a little bit about, of, the, uh, of the effect that that has had on Love here in a second. But I think it's fair to say that he needs to really put something together this preseason. It's, it's time to show some results. It's time to show some reason as to why you were a first-round pick in 2020. So what are we looking for? If I say he's going to look good, what do I think needs to look good? A couple of things. Footwork is a great one to start with. Footwork at the top of his drop in particular. As a quarterback drops back to pass, you can often tell a lot about them as a player by what they do when they stop dropping back. Do they plant that back foot and get the ball out? Or do they plant that back foot and hop and double clutch and just kind of wait to see what happens? One of those guys is, to I guess put a real fine point on it, a real NFL player. One of them is not. Love to this point in his NFL career has, I think, tended to be a little bit more towards the not side than the real NFL player side in this particular area of his skill development. And this was a knock on him all the way back to Utah State. Footwork was not always ideal. And this is something that you see a lot with guys who have great physical abilities. You would never want to use Brett Favre as teaching tape for a young quarterback because his footwork and fundamentals were all over the place. But he had the physical tools to get away with it. And far too often he tried to just get away with it. But that's a different discussion for a different day. Love in college didn't always have to have perfect footwork because he could make up for a lack of perfect footwork with great arm talent. And everyone seems to agree he does have great arm talent. In the NFL, arm talent can only get you so far. And in situations like Love has been in, the Chiefs game, the Lions game last year, where things are not going to be perfect around you because you're either getting into a bad situation on short prep like he was with the Chiefs, without Devontae Adams for the entire week of practice leading up and where the Chiefs are just going to straight up come after you with the blitz, it's easy to see why his footwork disappears pretty quickly. In the Lions game, you're playing against the Lions who are still giving it all they've got because they've got nothing to play for anyway, so they might as well ruin your day with what amounts to the JV squad because the Packers at the time that Love got in were saying, look, you know, we're going to pack it in for the playoffs here. And uh, good luck, Jordan. Just have fun. 
not a super ideal scenario to practice your footwork or to even maintain ideal footwork. And I think you saw that pop up a couple of times. Both of his interceptions, I think, in the Detroit game were at least in part a result of suboptimal footwork. But things are headed in the right direction. Aaron Rodgers this week, in a very good article by Cassidy Hill at PackersNews.com, expounded on Love's improved footwork. And I've got a couple of longer quotes here that I think are worth reading here. So Rodgers on footwork uh, referenced one really great pass that Love made in practice this week. Quote, the ball was great, but it all starts with the footwork. It was an inside zone fake on the left. At the top of the drop, he was heavy, and he one-hitched a perfect 4-5-5-4 to throw that ball. That's the difference. When you start figuring out the fundamentals and throwing from the ground up, the throwing becomes the easy part because your feet tell you exactly when to throw the ball. And that was beautiful footwork. Year three is always a jump, but I've seen the fundamentals, you know, get that little cleanup that needed to happen. That allows him, I think, to be a little bit more accurate, end quote. Hill goes on to explain exactly what that 4-5-5-4 reference is. Uh, it's what happens at the top of your drop. It's the steps that a quarterback takes on their drop back to set their feet and then throw in rhythm. Love says that he, in particular, has been working on his footwork, trying to get things cleaned up as he heads into his third year. Quote, watching film from last year, the games I played in, lots of throws, my feet would be kind of off, not be pointed to the target, not have a perfect base. So that's the biggest thing I've been working on. Just continue to keep a base wherever you're throwing, whether you get off platform or not, just try to get back to the base as quickly as you can and continue to grow from that base. When you get to a base, you have more power and you're able to get your hips into it. You have more power throwing rather than just throwing all along where you're off platform a little bit, end quote. So get those feet right, you start to throw right. Accuracy has been a little bit off for Love in his short NFL career. If he can get his feet right, though, I think he starts heading in the right direction in terms of um, that completion percentage just being a little bit more accurate, too. I would also look for Love this preseason to elevate the people around him. And as in that Lions game, we know that he's not going to be playing with all of the best and brightest. The Packers aren't going to roll out the entire first unit offense for him to play with in the preseason, because that's just not how things work. You're not going to have the starting offensive line. You're not going to, as Matt LaFleur said today, you're not going to have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. You're probably, at best, going to have Alan Lazard for a series or two, maybe in the entire preseason. Same goes for Sammy Watkins. Same goes for most of the rest of the receiving core. He may not have Christian Watson at all in the preseason. But he still needs to elevate the people around him because that's what a great quarterback should be able to do. What are you getting out of those guys that are less than ideal to have around? Can love still execute in suboptimal situations? good example of how this can shake out is the 2015 preseason. Brett Hundley was dynamite that preseason with a poor supporting cast. Now, I've gone back and looked at the film of this actually a couple of different times uh, trying to figure out um, why Hundley had the great preseason he did that year. The Packers were running about the most vanilla offense you could imagine, even by preseason standards. And Hundley was basically doing a one-read-and-go offense. Look for one guy, throw it if he's open, if he's not, tuck it and run. But what did Hundley do? He still got it done. The guys were open, he executed, made the throws. And it looked really good in the preseason. Can Jordan Love do the same? 
that's a pretty low bar, I guess, being better than Brett Hundley, but he needs to just execute with what's there and don't be the reason that your Packers offense gets mired down in the preseason. Now that's the preseason. What are we hoping for if Jordan Love gets into a game in the regular season? Now we hope he doesn't ever get into a game in a situation that matters, but if he does, I'm looking for three things, command, consistency, and authority. Does he have a command of the offense? The Packers had problems against the Chiefs last year because they tried to run the Aaron Rodgers offense with Jordan Love. Now, if Love gets into a similar situation this year, I think they're not going to make quite the same mistake. But you would look for him to be in command of whatever offense he's going to end up running. Consistency. Part of the problem in that Chiefs game is that Love was all over the map. Sure, it was rough at the beginning, but once the Packers started to dial in a little bit and figure out an offense that he could run, he played a little bit better, but it was still inconsistent drive to drive. Uh, you would hope that he can be a little less up and down from from possession to possession. Then authority, kind of nebulous here, but you're looking for him to be the center there. You're looking for him to be the thing around which everything else operates. Does he have the authority over the offense? Is he making those calls at the line of scrimmage? Is he the one who's in control? Suboptimal situations for Love, to be sure, last year when he played. But in two games of extended action, he really hasn't shown any of those three things. But I think he can. And if he takes those those steps forward in year three, you start to really be able to think about the future for Love in Green Bay. Now, Speaking of that future, reflecting on this a little bit today, I think that Jordan Love is going to be in Green Bay for the duration of his rookie year, his rookie deal, excuse me, rookie year is long gone, his rookie deal, his five year, and I think it is going to be all five years of that rookie contract, are going to be with the Packers. In our Discord server, available to Patreon supporters of the Power Sweep, old Packers fan, regular commenter there, raised a really good point today. Uh, And I'm just going to read his comment in full here. Quote, this year is really the tricky one for Love and the Packers, as the Packers will need to pick up or decline his fifth-year option at year-end, shortly after the year, but he's right in the broad strokes there. It seems unlikely that Rodgers plays in 2024, and they may simply transition to Love from Rodgers and hope their quarterback replacement strategy that Love's follows the Favre and Rodgers arcs with 10-plus good seasons of good quarterback play. End quote. Now, that is worth thinking about because the Packers have a big decision to make with Jordan Love after this season. Do they or don't they pick up his fifth-year option? And as old Packers fan points out there, you start to run into real questions about succession with Aaron Rodgers um, once you start worrying about picking up that fifth-year option because Rodgers' contract isn't getting any cheaper either. So it comes down to a couple of, couple of questions. First, how long is Aaron Rodgers going to play? And second, are you willing to pay two quarterbacks pretty good money? The first question only Aaron Rodgers is going to have the answer to, and the Packers are going to want him around as long as he is willing to pay, willing to play. But I think the Packers need to really think long and hard about being willing to pay two quarterbacks, because if Rodgers decides that he doesn't want to play after, say, 2023, well, 2023 is Love's fourth year. His fifth year is going to be 2024. So that would mean 
he would need to be on, on the hook for that season. He would need to be under contract for that season. And if they do decide, or if they do need another quarterback, Love on a fifth-year deal, shoot, you've believed in him this far. I mean, that's not that bad a deal for a starting quarterback in the NFL. If it gets to that point, you might as well just roll with Love for a year because you can build around him in other ways, continue to build the defense. And if things go really poorly, you're going to have an option to replace him after that fifth year is done. And if you feel good about him midway through that fifth year, extend him or say, hey, we're just going to franchise him after after this fifth year is done. The Packers are in a pretty good situation here to have an affordable backup quarterback, have an affordable option if Aaron Rodgers retires here, and be able to see how things go after that with love without really breaking the bank. Because the the Packers have more or less signaled that once Aaron Rodgers declined, they think there's or once Aaron Rodgers is done, they don't think they're going to be really contenders anyway. Because that's how they've kind of built their team. They're trying to contend around Rodgers as he continues to to age and I guess waffle in the off season as his predecessor d- before him did. They're, they've basically said, "Look, we're going to do some major retooling after after Rodgers is gone. We're probably looking at." Moving on from from David Bakhtiari sooner than later, if if Rodgers decides he's done, Randall Cobb's contract is coming off the books here in the near future. We're going to be looking at a very different team once Aaron Rodgers is is gone, and we might as well try out our affordable Jordan Love in the meantime, and then see if he takes us to a high draft pick or we could, we've just got another good quarterback once once Rodgers is out of here. The window if there ever was one where the Packers would move on from Jordan Love, I think is is probably gone. Unless somebody makes them a really dynamite offer after a really good preseason here, they're in kind of a, a window where it almost makes more sense to keep them anyway, regardless of what, what offer you might get for them. Unless somebody really knocks your socks off, you might as well keep them around and, and play this thing out to the end and then decide what to do with quarterbacks and the future once you get to that point. It's kind of a weird way to do things. Uh, the Packers ended up sacrificing a premium draft pick to do that. But at this point, might as well ride it out. So I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. It's going to help more people find the show and ultimately get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.